your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle, Empire. Welcome once again to the Blocking Charge Cast, episode number eight. This is an Off Tackle Empire production. I'm Andrew Krzyzewski, and I'm joined once again by our avid Penn State contributor, Aaron York. Aaron, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, because we're, we, uh, we're recording this during the Penn State-Indiana game. Penn State's up by, uh, I just missed a score before the break, but they're up by around 10 points, so we're feeling okay right now. This is a game I felt comfortable with them, even though they are uh, Penn State loves to let us down every time the fans get hopeful about this team. But feel well, good about yeah, this game. So Penn State still got that Keep little number next to them, though. We haven't talked since they got before it back. that they happened. Yeah. I don't know how they got it back. I, mean, I guess <laughs> they they were able to get the win the revenge game against Ohio State, but they yeah, that's still uh... winning a. Yeah, they got back on track after that little losing streak at the uh, in the middle of January. Ohio State still counts as a pretty decent loss. They're actually, and we'll, I mean, we'll get right into this kind of with a big picture discussion, which is that honestly, top to even the very bottom, the Big Ten is is as good as it's ever been, at least in my recollection. I mean, there's always a fistful of tournament teams at the top, but. Some of the latest projections are saying there could be as many as nine or ten Big Ten teams in the field. Now, that would be if it was selected today, and there's obviously still a lot of losses to hand out. But Big Ten still has 11 of the top 40 teams, according to Ken Palm. Even Northwestern, which has one win in league play, I think they're like 6-13 and 13 overall or something like that. They're still number 114 in Ken Palm, as bad as they've been. Um, just the amount of... Quadrant one and quadrant two games they have has basically boosted their profile up. So, um, I do you ever remember the Big Ten being this strong? I know it feels like this is like the second, third, or fourth year in a row that we've had this conversation, you know, about the conference, but it really feels like it's better than it's ever been. Yeah, it's definitely as deep as it's ever been. I don't know how the, I don't think the, the, I think we've seen years where the top four is stronger than this i mean although that's kind of a countrywide issue where the elite team there are no really elite teams because every time a team climbs atop the mountain they fall right off so i I think it's as top to bottom it's as good as it's ever been i think that there is that uh the top of the conference leaves us wanting a little more though i think michigan state's starting to get on a roll after they they went into the barn and they won big that was really impressive uh, considering how the road teams have struggled this year. And then they uh, tonight they just followed up. They blew out Northwestern, and it's only Northwestern, but I mean, Michigan just State just blew their doors off, so it's two blowouts in a row for them. So maybe they're on the way to being the elite team that we thought they would be. And then uh, and then Maryland looks really good, and, uh, and you have Iowa's was great offense with Luca Garza. Illinois being uh, really surprising with the emergence of Kofi Coburn. It's pronounced Coburn. 
Yes, it is. And okay. I, I was lectured about this by Steve. As though as though I would think that two phonetically compatible letters in the middle of his name would just be silent for no reason. And it's also much more hilarious if his name was pronounced Cockburn. So, um, yeah, for the first, although I noticed, like, every Illinois game for, like, the first month and a half of the season, every announcer was definitely just saying it, Cockburn. Like, it took a long time before. Cockburn's I think it was, I think it was the, yeah, the BTN guys were the first ones to get it right, but then... I, th- I don't remember when it was exactly. I don't think it was this last week, but fairly recently I saw part of an Illinois game on a national broadcast and they went, they went right back to Cockburn. So that may just be something he has to deal with. It, you know, he's been enough of a revelation that he's going to have an NBA decision to make after this year. And then he's got a whole new set of announcers um, pronouncing his name hilariously <laughs> wrong. So, um, he's, but yeah, that's, if you want to talk about a pleasant surprise team in the league, especially even not so much comparing them to their preseason expectations, where I think some sources thought they would be pretty good, but then they had some results in the early season, like losing to Miami by 30. Um, but with a little more of the season on tape, it's kind of become apparent that really the big problem with Illinois early was they totally scrapped their defensive system. That whole, the first couple years of the Underwood of the Underwood era, they were all about, Full court pressure, highly aggressive, forcing lots of turnovers, but also committing tons and tons of fouls. They they abandoned that altogether, and it clearly took them a while to figure out then how to play what I would refer to as normal half court defense. But now that they have gotten the hang of it, they still in some areas don't quite have the depth that you might like. Um, but they, their front line players are very good, basically one to five. Um, especially once he returns from suspension, Alan Griffin's been kind of an underrated find for them. It's obviously still about Coburn and Dosunmu. Bishash really, really has been a little bit of a disappointment this year. I've been a little surprised by that. But as again, as Steve is very fond of uh, harping on, Brad Underwood does play this too big system that really just it, it kind of screws up their spacing. Uh, when, when, they're almost better off when one of their big guys is in foul trouble and they don't have any choice but to bench him and then just play the other guy at the five, you know, play a little more of Kipper Nichols. That seems to be kind of their best configuration. And it, they've gone with more of that kind of thing recently, even when they haven't been forced to. But yeah, Illinois has definitely been a positive surprise of a team. I mean, I didn't necessarily think of them this way because I expected them to be at least in the middle of the pack. But Penn State also as you said, you know, ranked for the first time since 96, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. ranked for the first time since 96. Uh, I've been frustrated with the offense and with some of the personnel decisions that Pat Chambers has made, but they're as good on defense as ever. And they have a little bit of Benson shooting depth that they haven't had in the past. Curtis Jones just stepped up in that big win at Michigan last week. He stepped up and gave them, I think, like 17 points in 18 minutes all in the second half that that lifted them in a game where their offense was really struggling uh, in this game that uh, they're up by 14 now against Indiana with six minutes to play. And their offense hasn't been great, but defense is forcing turnovers. They're giving they're uh, giving Indiana a really hard time. They're getting out in transition. It's giving them just enough offense, but it's still a flawed team. But, yeah, this looks like a legitimately good team. I certainly had my doubts when they lost 
when they lost three in a row. Uh, that home game against Wisconsin really won. I figure they should have won, especially with the way Wisconsin's struggling this year. But yeah, they bounced back. They beat Ohio State at home. They beat Michigan on the road. They win this one. They got Nebraska next on the road. And then you're putting together a nice resume. So um, uh, I am happy with this team, even though I don't see them making a deep tournament run. Anytime, I mean, Penn State fans, you can't even say tournament unless you're talking about the nit or the big 10 tournament so you just have to be happy with where the team is right now and hope that it can attract recruits to keep this thing rolling into the future yeah well you know really with the 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 strength of the league this year you're gonna have a top 20 top 25 at worst schedule just by playing in the league um and we commented a little bit before the season started on Penn State strength of schedule. Now, after, assuming they're able to hang on tonight, and that's a slow-moving game. It's still got seven minutes left, according to the tracker I'm looking at. But do have a couple of road games after this. As far as road games in the Big Ten go, Nebraska is a more winnable one. But after that, there's a trip to the Breslin Center. And then down the stretch, I mean, this last three games, I think, is going to be a little interesting for Penn State, given where they are now, where there's a trip to Iowa, then hosting Michigan State, and then going to Northwestern. And that last one in particular could be fascinating, because if Penn State finds himself on the bubble, what really is Northwestern going to play for at that point? I guess it'll be, I guess we'll see. Um, The last thing I would say about Penn State, though, is I actually thought Penn State was involved in the best game of the year so far when they played Iowa at the Palestra, and this was a few weeks ago now. But it was really a spectacular game. And I, honestly, the only bad part about it is that the, the Plester being such a venerable building, uh, the ventilation's not great. So with that capacity like that, the floor gets slick and there's players sliding all over the place. But otherwise, it was high-scoring, up-tempo, back-and-forth affair, great offensive performances by multiple guys on both teams. Um, it was phenomenal. And... You know, conversely, a team that has managed to ugly their way to the top. Uh, it's time to talk to your children about Rutgers, the double buy team in the Big Ten tournament, uh, because they're in fairly good position to pull that off this year. Now, again, this is a team. Last year, their win loss result didn't necessarily didn't necessarily indicate they were going to be a top tier team this year, but they're on-court progress did. They weren't converting into as many wins as they, I'm sure they would have liked, but the res- the progress was there. It was easy to see that they were going to be a lot better. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and this Rutgers team is still one of the worst shooting teams. They might be the worst three-point shooting team in the conference. Yeah, and it, the only reason they're not one of the very worst three-point shooting teams in the country is because they picked up a transfer in Akwasi Yaboa, who's a pretty good three-point shooter. I feel yeah, like I'm watching he's that been, every shot he takes goes in. Um, yeah, from Stony Brook, <laughs> which is where Steve Peichel used to coach. And yeah, yeah you're right, he has, he has been outstanding for them. Ron Harper's turned into a really reliable scorer. Uh, you got Miles Johnson as a as a big man who's got some skills, and there's there's bent there's some depth there too. Uh, Caleb, Caleb McConnell's able to run some point for them when when Geo Baker was out, he he did that a lot. Geo Baker missed some games due to injury, and they and it didn't really phase them. They were able to beat Penn State during that stretch. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I like this Rutgers team a lot. They're similar to Penn State in that they don't shoot well, but. They just kill you on on defense, and they have enough depth to 
get the uh, get enough baskets to uh, <laughs> to outscore the other team. That's gonna that's gonna struggle to score against them. I don't totally trust Rutgers on the road, but they have been on they've been unbeatable at home. They're still undefeated at the rack. So uh, they they lost a tough game to Iowa on the road. They lose to Illinois on the road, and uh, there's a there's a few more tough road games coming up. But they, if they just hold serve, they're gonna make the tournament. And like you said, they're gonna have a really good seed in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, well, and therein lies the rub. And as you said, the road games, it's not just that they have a number of road games. These are tough places to play. They have to go to Maryland, to Ohio State. Still have to go to the Kohl Center, although Wisconsin, their, their season's in a little bit of an interesting situation. Um, they go to Penn State, and then they finish the season at Mackey Arena. So not only do they have a number of road games left, but they're hard places to play. I mean, the easiest venue of those, I guess, is Penn State. Even with the downturn Iowa, or Ohio State has had this season, since we got back into conference play, still a difficult place to get a road win. So, you know, uh, other than that, the other team that I think has been a pleasant surprise, that has to be Iowa. Um, In the non-conference season, the thought was kind of, they just don't have enough bodies this year. They're redshirting Pat McCaffrey. And then Jordan Bohanna was coming off of his hip injury. He tried to make a go of it, but ultimately decided, look, I'm going to take the red shirt, get this hip surgery and be back next season. And from there, it's like, all right, well, they just don't have enough guys to do this. But even playing like a seven or at most eight man rotation, they've found themselves, you know, in the picture at the top of the conference. They're not right there at the very top, but there's enough games left that if the wrong teams lose to the wrong other teams, they're going to find themselves in position for a double buy as well. And yeah, that's what probably, happens when Luca yeah. Garza turns into a superstar, I think. A lot of I liked Luca Luca Garza. He was Luke Garza last year, right? He went by Luke, and now he's Luca. Is I don't know. Right? I thought I thought he'd always gone it's, by Luca, uh, but I mean, honestly, until this year, until yeah, until this year, he's kind of just been a guy, and now he's the guy. And, yeah, he's one of the he's you know, one of the best players in the country. He can score from anywhere. He's extremely efficient. He's got great skills under the basket with his footwork. He finishes through contact. He can step out and shoot the three pointer. He you know he's an NBA style style big man, and uh, and yeah, he's helped lift their offense to where it needs to be to to compete with some of the best teams in the conference. Yeah, I'm going to be fascinated by how he's regarded in the NBA because recently the thought has always been, look, you you can't teach athletic potential. Just give the NBA the springiest, longest athletes they can get their hands on, and they'll teach them the basketball stuff later. But then there's there's kind of this counterweight to that. Like some of the European centers have come over. Like I don't think anyone would look at Luka Doncic or Nikola Jokic and say, "Wow, that guy's an incredible athlete." I mean, obviously they're very good athletes if they're in the NBA, but they're not going to be winning any dunk contests anytime soon. Is kind of my point. And yeah, I wonder if that type of player, because I mean, he's an excellent passer. He's gotten he's not a total liability defensively yet. He, that's definitely still the weaker side of his game. But he's not a he's not a complete matador on defense anymore. Um, he could be like a Lori Markinen, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, he's he you can't back off of him on the three point line. He shoots thirty seven percent from there. He's got probably the quickest release on the mid range shot that I remember ever seeing. Is he's got this sort of unorthodox shooting motion where it feels like it's all in his hands and fingers. So he goes from you know if he when he turns to face up if he's like fifteen feet out. 
he goes from the motion where he turns to face you to shooting like inside of a second, the ball is away and he hits that shot so reliably you can't let him take it, but he also has the ability to put the ball on the deck. And then if he's posting you up, you can try to put a big guy on him, in which case he's quicker than most of them and just spins around them. Or you can try to put a smaller guy on him, in which case he's powerful enough to muscle him down. And he draws a ton of fouls. I didn't think to check his the his drawn foul rate, but it's off the charts. He shoots, I think, something like seven or eight free throws a game. Wrecks your front court depth by putting all your guys in foul trouble. Um, absolutely oh, yeah. transformational performance by him. I, you know, not that anyone cares what I think, but I think he's got to be at least a finalist for the wooden award for best player in the country. There's, you know, uh, Miles Powell is going to be a popular candidate, Marcus Howard, maybe a couple other guys. But when you consider not only his raw number, the other thing is he's a fantastic rebounder. Now he gets like 11 rebounds a game. So probably the most complete player out there for my money. Um, and he doesn't completely destroy the rhythm of the offense around him. I mean, the rest of Iowa's players have been a lot more up and down, but they've gotten enough contributions from guys like Wieskamp, um, Joe Toussaint, I think has a really bright future. He's a, basically just a slasher now, but if and when he finds a three-point shot, he's going to be a really good point guard, I think, as well. So Iowa's got to feel pretty good about where they are right now. I think Ryan Creener is their only senior who really plays so if by some chance Garza decides to come back next year, which I, after this kind of season, even if your NBA stock isn't quite what you want it to be, I don't know what, I mean, he's not going to average 30 a night in college. So yeah. I don't see what point there is for him to come back, but you know, he, he clearly enjoys the college experience and why wouldn't he? Um, his dad's a fantastic follow on Twitter. We certainly recommend that if you're, if that's, uh, if that's your preferred social media, but yeah, it, up and down, whether you have any particular interest in what I would, and I, I don't really. I mean, there's, I think every fan of college basketball, when you think about your conference, there are certain teams that's like, man, I really hope we beat them every year. I mean, you want to win every game, but there are teams that it bothers you more. I've never really felt that way one way or another about Iowa. So I don't mind that they have a little success because Garza is so much fun to watch. Can you think, is there another guy like this that comes to mind for you, even just in the last few years, where you're so impressed by their overall game that you kind of pick them up as a secondary rooting interest? Um, I usually I usually have a guy. I, remember, I mean, when Frank Kaminsky exploded for Wisconsin, I wanted to watch him every night. Uh, Minnesota this year with the way Marcus Carr and, uh, and Daniel Oturu have sprung onto the scene. They've been, they've been fun as, and they've been so tough at home. So, uh, I want to see more, uh, more Illinois because of Coburn. I haven't really been able to watch a lot of their, their games yet. So I want to see them, but, but, um, trying to think who my, like, who my favorite player on a different team and this year, I, 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 I still love watching Cassius Winston. I think last year was even more fun for him. I just that that team just clicked a little bit more. They're having some they've had some trouble just getting the auxiliary pieces to fit in around around Winston and. Yeah, and totally Tillman fair this year. Yep. Uh, so last year's team was a little was a little more fun and it was fun watching Winston just do his thing. So, yeah, there there's I mean, it's it's a big conference. There's there's guys like that that every year uh you know yeah. uh 
the other one who Maryland's came to mind some, for me, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, go Maryland's ahead. Maryland's got some guys too. No, go ahead. The other one who came to mind for me, even though there was one game when he went full Coble and dropped like 38 on Michigan State to upset them, uh, was Teran Petaway, the guy that Tim Miles oh, yeah, found, yeah. like found under a rock somewhere when they first came into the conference. And, you know, it, sure, his shot selection was not always the greatest, but when he was hitting those shots, that it like, what are you going to do about that? I mean, it was it was a little bit of like diet Steph Curry type of shot selection he was taking. But um, <laughs> he always he has a he had a I don't know, swagger is the right word about him, but. There, he, has, he had a presence to his game when he was making shots that it was like, hey, really? Are we losing the Nebraska? Um, so, you know, again, this is kind of a different mindset back then before Tim Miles proved that he could build a little bit of a roster. Not that that lasted, but that was one other guy that came to mind for me. So, uh, all right, well, enough positive talk. I mean, the flip side of that coin, of course, is that there are going to be teams that didn't necessarily – perform as well as we thought they would and in the preview series before the season started i may have ventured the opinion that the big 10 regular season title would be decided at least in part by the outcome of the only game michigan state and ohio state play at the very end of the season that prediction may not go down in my personal in my personal hall of fame um as the Buckeyes have, have started with uh, a three and six mark in league play after rising as high as what were they, were they number two or number three in the country at they one were number point two in the country they're Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they beat Kentucky on, you know, before Christmas, they beat villain. I mean, they blew Villanova they, out. Yeah, they they look like the, the, yeah, they look like the team that I expected they could be with the talent they brought in and the kind of coach that I thought Holtman would be. And they blew um, out North Carolina before North Carolina was terrible. Yeah, right. Well, that yeah, I think that was when Cole Anthony was still healthy. So North Carolina was a very different team back then. That same case as when Michigan played them, I think that was also before the Anthony, or maybe it was right around the time of the Anthony injury. No, I think it was before. Um, but I, yeah, sometimes when you watch Ohio State, it... I have to admit, I thought they would make a lot more progress from last year offensively than they have. But it's still a lot of the time feels like it's the Wesson brothers doing something and some guys just kind of hanging around watching. Um, yeah, no one in the backcourt has really developed the way they need them to and been like they need a star in the backcourt to to really run to really run the offense alongside the Wesson brothers and just no one has really stepped up. You have, you know, DJ Carton's been really good for a freshman, but you know, you'd like, you'd like, you'd like more out of some of these guys and you have guys that have been in the program, like, like Luther Muhammad was there. was a standout freshman last year and yeah. hasn't really turned into a star player and neither has Dwayne Washington. So I do yeah, think they're, in, la- they're yeah, yeah they, they should be they still should be a lot better. I mean they're they're still ranked number 13 in Ken Palm. Like the numbers are yeah. there, you're just yeah. not executing at the end of this game. I mean, and, you know they they blow out Penn State at the beginning of December and then Penn State returns the favor a couple or uh yeah, about a couple weeks ago. So they're only wins in this month in the Big 10 or Nebraska Northwestern it's 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 been ugly but they're they're not that far away from 
making a run in the second half and looking like and maybe turning into the team that we thought they would be. No, they're not. And the Northwestern game, even though, again, maybe the caveat applies that it's just Northwestern, but um, I mean, for, it's not they're for a Northwestern team at the very bottom of the rankings. They're not as bad as the historical cellar dwelling Northwestern teams. They really aren't. Um, but the, and they Ohio State was stuck in the mud against them for a while. And it, and it was DJ Carton who dragged them out of it. And he really showed some signs of I, I think he's going to be one of those guys where you think about him like, God, hasn't this guy graduated yet? Because I don't know that he's going to be an early draft venture. And it feels like they'll probably have him at least two more years. Um, there's nothing all that physically imposing about him. I mean, he's a good enough Division One athlete. He's a top 40-ish player, if I remember right, um, coming out of high school. But it doesn't feel like he's the kind of guy the NBA is going to be like, oh, yeah, you're a lottery pick right now, either this year or next. So he, it's going to be a multi-year run for him. I think he's going to be the guy they build around because I would expect Caleb Wesson to leave after this year. I don't know how much more there is for him to demonstrate. And, you know, there was plenty of talk of him going pro after last season too. Whether Caleb Wesson comes back or not, I think they would be better served in placing more of the mantle of that team on DJ Carton going forward because it feels like that's the higher ceiling for the intermediate future of the team. Um, yeah, for sure. He's already, I mean, he's already third in the team in scoring. He's, he leads the team in assists. So I think there is, there is a guard that's going to lead them into the future. It, it is him. Yeah. Uh, so, and as you mentioned, despite falling to a 13 and seven overall record, the computers still really like Ohio state because of a quality of non-conference slate. They played, they're going to have plenty more opportunities to knock off some big, big names as conference play goes on, but they got to win some games. I mean, you, you can't go oh, for a whole month and it's a little strange because they had a similar swoon to this last year. Um, and I, I really thought that Holtman would have found a way to avoid that, but obviously not all progress is linear and this is not exactly the easiest neighborhood to get better in. So <laughs> I think a little more patience is still warranted, but it's definitely been a little bit, you know, it's been a little bit disappointing. I think that's fair to say. Um, elsewhere, Purdue finds themselves towards the bottom middle of the conference. Uh, and it really watching Purdue, it, it's clear that they struggle for the lack of a dominant scorer. If they're in a tie game with 10 seconds left, I don't know that they have a clear number one option. I mean, do you run something to set up Stefanovic, who's a good shooter, but much, much, much better at home? Um, do you set something up for Travion Williams, who is an, he's a very nice post threat, but works kind of methodically, not all that good of a passer yet. And if it's a tie game, well, the R team is just going to follow him and put him on the line where you shoot something like 50%. So it, it doesn't feel like they've got the catalyst that puts everything together and improves everybody around him. And that's an easy thing to say when you go from having Carson Edwards to not having Carson Edwards. They don't have to have a guy who is that type of threat, but somebody like, I mean, a few years ago when they had uh, Vince Edwards, um, Dakota Mathias wasn't really an out with the first option on any teams he was on, but somebody like that, a, a guy who's not just a shooter as the main offensive threat um, or not just a post player, a more complete offensive threat. It just doesn't seem like they have that kind of thing. Um, and their shooting has really not been all that consistent either. 
I still, looking back at it, I have no idea how they blew the doors off of Michigan State. I, granted, it was at Mackey, and that's a very difficult place to play, but looking at the overall resumes of those two teams, that's, that one's going to be a head-scratcher for me for a while. I mean, I think Michigan State just turned the ball over. I, I watched the first, like, five minutes of that game, which was very which must have been very frustrating need, for anyone needed to fan. see yeah <laughs> yeah because they were up like 20 to 6 or something after after about five minutes i think they just michigan state was turning the ball over and they got going in transition and they got some open threes and um but 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 like you said usually when you lose a big score like edwards someone will emerge the next year but uh hasn't really happened i really like trevion williams uh, love him as a post player, needs to develop the jumper a little bit. But like you said, when you're a post player and you can't hit and you're shooting only making only half your free throws, it gives the defense an easy uh, escape route. So he's not a complete player just yet. You'd think maybe Harms or uh, Nojel Eastern, who's who's now in his third year, would develop more of a scoring touch, but that just hasn't happened. And those are guys that have been playing since their freshman year and who you're expecting to lead the team right now, and they are good defensive players, and this is a really good defensive team, but uh, but yeah, those those two guys are not gonna not gonna be able to carry you on offense, and that leads to problems. You, you know, you need to you need to run Stefanovic off a bunch of screens to get him open. Uh, Jihad Proctor is hasn't been a huge impact as a tra- as a transfer from High Point. They're just not getting as as much shooting as we're used to seeing from from this team. So, I mean, I, I mean, Aaron Wheeler's shooting shooting a twenty one percent from three point range. It's it's been ugly. They just haven't had anyone step up. No, and they have like the the guys you named are all capable of putting up a good game here or there. I, I think Proctor had something like nineteen points or or something like that against Rutgers. So. That was by far the high water mark of his season, but it's it's just you don't get the feeling that you can expect that. Um, not that you would expect a transfer score to plug in and score 19 per game, but if you could consistently get somebody to... They need one more guy who can consistently give them 11 or 12 a game. That's something that they need that they don't have. Um, and then the last team that's kind of that has certainly lost the wind out of their sails, another team that... Uh, crash their way into the top five Michigan um, who man we think back to where they were you know week after Thanksgiving it <laughs> the thought was would they be the first team in I don't know how many years to go from unranked to number one because of the way they blasted through a really impressive field at the battle for Atlantis um, but man it it, it and I think they would have had some of these struggles in conference play even with everybody healthy. But when Isaiah Livers got hurt, boy, it, it they collapsed like a house of cards, man. Um, I get that they, they were kind of light on shooting anyway. That early season success was predicated on a run of shooting from guys like Eli Brooks and Franz Wagner that probably just was not sustainable. Um, I don't think they were ever quite that good. But, you know, Livers was a... 50% three-point shooter before he got hurt. And they played enough of the season where, yeah, that was going to be one of the better shooting seasons in conference history. To lose him, it, it ends up putting so much of the offensive burden on Xavier Simpson. And team, like he's, this is kind of the downfall of having a senior player is that the book is out on him. And the book on him is 
he cannot shoot from deep, invite him to, and if he drives, make him finish the shot because he's small enough that you're going to force him into these circus shots. And he makes some of those, and the, the commentators drool all over him when he does. But for every one of those you know, off-balance hook shots or little scoop shots he makes, he misses three or four more. Um, so that's teams have decided to say, all right, Xavier Simpson, you beat us. And as good of a player as he is, he's not the kind of guy who is going to beat a Big Ten team by himself. I mean, Teske has, is a pretty steady scorer, but, they, man, for a while there, and they changed this recently to their credit, but for a while there, they were leaving him on an island in post-defense, and it was not going well. Um, I mean, his foundation seems to be okay, but there's just so many talented big men in this league. I mean, I think they already played both their games against Iowa. I believe Garza went for 77 points in the two games they played Michigan because they just refused to double him, and he absolutely chewed Teske to pieces. Um, So there's a little bit of stubbornness in the coaching, refusal to adapt to things a little quicker that they maybe could have seen. Um, But it's probably fair to say overall that, look, this was not the most talented roster Michigan's had the last few years. The style of play that Howard seems to be going for is a faster tempo than, they use, than they're used to, is a kind of different style of defense. So once he has players that fit his mold a little better, things will be better. But this season has collapsed in a hurry. And the other unfortunate thing is Livers returned on Saturday, but apparently re-aggravated that injury, and it's not clear how long he'll be back if he'll be back. I, oh, he re, he reaggravated the injury because I saw he just returned in one of these games. He yeah, it was Saturday, and I I don't even remember who they. You know, now I have to know who were they playing. They were playing. Um, oh, they oh, they lost a close game to Illinois. Yes, so he went up for a dunk. He kind of got fouled as he went up, and he had like the he had a pretty awkward landing. And when he got up, it took him a second. When he got up, he was clutching his groin, and they they took him out. Actually, oh, they put him back in because after I think Illinois hit the shot to go up with half a second left, our own Steve Braun was present and audible on the broadcast, as you might guess if you've ever met him. <laughs> um, and so with half a second left, they actually put Livers back in to inbound the ball. Um, I guess trusting, you know, it's it's a young team. I suppose they wanted the most veteran guy they could get while freeing up another guy to take a shot. I don't know. Um, it was a catch and shoot thing that it didn't work, but that I think was pretty early in the second half or maybe late in the first half, but he sat an extended period after that and Michigan did lose the game. They, they did go on the road and win at Nebraska or was it at home? No, I think it was a home game. It's a, it beat, was on the road. They won yeah, the they road, beat yeah. Nebraska so they, on the road. They beat Nebraska also while Xavier Simpson was serving a one game suspension for the classic unspecified violation of team rules. So and then, you know, I guess, and again, I'm going a little bit off script here, but speaking of violation of team rules, the news came in today that Wisconsin has lost Kobe King to a midseason transfer over these kind of nebulous, I don't feel like I fit here sorts of statements. And then in the aftermath of nut punch gate against Iowa, Brad Davison is also going to serve a one game suspension. So the Badgers now go into a home game with Michigan State on Saturday, missing two of their three top guards, probably. I mean, Demetri Trice would be the third guy there. Um, and that's, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, there's obviously 
a depth of the story that isn't going to be put out there publicly that we may never have confirmed. But, you know, they're sitting at 500 in league play. They've had a couple results. They got a couple of road wins, which is certainly going to benefit them because that's not something that a lot of teams can say. Um, but it's sort of the sort of drama that we're not used to hearing out of Wisconsin basketball. They're usually fairly steady, quiet. You don't, you don't hear this kind of thing from Wisconsin much. And I guess we'll see what develops with this story. So the last substantive questions, and maybe we already answered this by the amount we talked about earlier, but who would be your conference player of the year at the halfway mark? I think you've got to go with Luca Garza. He's, he's been, he puts up crazy numbers. He's, he's extremely valuable to his team. That doesn't play great defense, so they need him to score a lot every game. He comes through for them. <laughs> they do. They he's, do. yeah, he's a beast. I, I think you got to go with Garza. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And it, if it's not going to be him, I, what am I going to say, Cassius Winston? Because I'm a Michigan State fan. I love the guy to death, and it's not that he's playing all that bad. He's a little more inconsistent than he was last year, for understandable reasons. Um, but no, it, it's got to be Garza. It's Garza by a mile. It's 23 points per game, almost 11 rebounds. We mentioned the shooting percentages earlier. Uh, and just the impact he has on the game. I mean, Winston takes over plenty of games, but start to finish, Garza puts you on the ropes, man. So, yeah, he, he'd be my choice as well. What do you think about Coach of the Year? Which This, is a, this I think, is a more interesting question. I want to say Steve Pikeel, but Brad Underwood is also going to get some votes. I'll go Pikeel just because there is not a culture of winning in in uh, Piscataway. So he's done a great job. He's uh, he's brought together a group that there, there's always there always seems to be like a lot of moving parts with transfers and stuff and. Uh, and they, you know, they haven't been able to really grow one group up together. But it seems like he's taken this this uh, this ragtag bunch of guys, and he's even even like I said before, Geo Baker was missed some time due to injury, and they didn't seem to skip a beat. So I think it's got to be Steve Pico right now. Pico is probably going to win it. Um, Underwood is a good point as well, as you know, as we mentioned earlier. It, it's not every head coach that would willingly scrap the the form of defense that is kind of the foundation of their whole identity as a head coach, what got them where they are. Um, but he did that. He, you know, It's probably fair to say that he's got enough talent that maybe they should have been this good or close to it last year. The other guy who I don't think has gotten a whole lot of discussion, and maybe it's just because coach of the year isn't something that gets discussed this early, but um, what about Fran McCaffrey? Um, Iowa, as we mentioned, Iowa had an injury sort of lingering from the offseason to their projected starting point guard. Um, they're rolling with a very shallow bench, and yet here they are, six and three ties them for fourth place in the conference. So they're gonna have some opportunities over the next couple of weeks also to play a, a number of ranked teams. That'll tell us a little bit more about whether they're really going to stay at that top tier or if they're going to sink back to the pack a little bit. But insofar as coach of the year often is about how how much you exceed expectations, I thought Rutgers was going to be good. 
Uh, I think a lot of people thought Illinois was going to be pretty good just because of the continuity they had from the previous year. And if you don't have an obvious superstar team like Michigan State was supposed to be, I don't think they are that, but like they were supposed to be, then, yeah, the teams that end up near the top of the rankings that you didn't expect to be there, I'm just thinking back to the beginning of the season, and I there, I mean, the Iowa people that we talked to, our own Stu Monkey did not expect a whole lot out of his Hawkeyes this year. He thought it would basically be sort of a, a cocoon year when they get better, develop their young guys, and next year returning basically everybody are ready to roll. But now the future may be now, and we'll see. They're fifteen and five overall, all but a lock to make the tournament at this point. I mean, they would. <laughs> The only reason I'm a little hesitant on this is because they have certainly been suspect to the late season swoon over the entire time he's been there. So they're going to have to keep their keep their record a little bit above, you know, what a, a 250 winning percentage in the month of February, for example, if they if they want to win that. But yeah, I, I think Fran at this point it would have to be a candidate. He's got to yeah, he's got to finish much better, though. Don't forget Richard Bettino either, because that was a team that I know we were talking about at the beginning of the year. We didn't expect much out of Minnesota, and he's gotten huge jumps from he's got a huge jump from Daniel Oturu. Gabe Kalsher is playing well. And then, of course, Marcus Carr has come out of nowhere to be one of the best point guards in the conference. So yeah, he, I mean, he, he transferred he away the way from, those players have developed. Yeah, Carr left Pitt basically thinking that with the players Capel was going to bring in there, he wouldn't play. Or that's what I assume is basically what happened. Um, he's certainly been one of the surprise players in the conference as well. Although I, he was really bad against Michigan State. I mean, I've seen a couple other Minnesota games, and he's been much better. But MSU, for whatever reason, schemed him pretty well. But I, I, your point about Patino is pretty well taken. Um, and we'll see. Again, it's a little early. We still have half the conference slate to play, but... You know, going 500 in conference, that's better maybe than we expected of them, but there's still plenty of opportunities for them to take some losses as well. So last thing we will do is note some games of interest over the next week. I laid out a number of things there. What on the schedule coming up catches your interest? Oh, upcoming. I saw that there's a big game with... um, I need to get the schedule in front of me, but... Who's Rutgers playing a big game on? Uh, yeah, they're playing Michigan in Manhattan, so that's gonna be interesting because it's neutral site. I said I don't trust Rutgers on the road, and they are not on the road. They will be close to home. There should be a bunch of excited Rutgers fans in the house. You're well, we'll find Michigan out. Team that's struggling. Yeah, we'll find out once and for all if Rutgers really is New York's college athletic uh, I, program. I will be the first one to tell you that they're they're not New York team. <laughs> I mean, that home arena belongs to Saint Saint John's. Yeah. Although well, Rutgers <laughs> might be playing the best right now, obviously Syracuse has a claim. They've been playing better since Penn State blew them out in December. Yeah. But I, well, I mean, Rutgers <laughs> will get fans because they're doing well, and I I think there is a lot of excitement. They've been getting fans to that building, although in that we've been has been discussed in Slack. It's not the biggest building, although I I love the atmosphere in the rack. I've have we talked probably, about that? I don't I don't recall that. It's uh, <laughs> it, was, it was getting thrown around the other day. It's like oh, it's only eight thousand people. It's like I think the racks a, it's a great college atmosphere. I don't I don't like the big arenas for college basketball. It feels more like college game when you're playing in a smaller gym. So, well, truthfully, it's easier to make a small gym really loud. Um, there's less space well, to yeah, fill. Exactly. <laughs> so, and, you know, the um, acoustics are better. 
Yeah. With the weird roofs, like, you know, like the, you know, like assembly hall has the weird roof and the, the rack also has a weird roof where it just sound the sound is just different. <laughs> yeah. I think you see people at your, but I, I could be, I could be being deceived because the rack is a small arena. Maybe they won't fill up the garden. Like I think, but it will. Be, I think there's going to be or to seeing what happens in that game. There's going to be plenty of plenty of Michigan fans there, even with the team having taken a little bit of a downturn. There was uh, I'm sure I don't. Yeah, I'm sure I don't have to tell you that there are plenty of Michigan fans on the East Coast. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean there are plenty of good matchups next. You know, next week. Uh, by the time we post this, the Iowa Maryland game is going to be pretty close right, to getting underway. Um, there's a pretty good slate this weekend. You mentioned the Michigan and Rutgers game. Um, MSU takes that trip to a suddenly drama-stricken Wisconsin that we mentioned. Um, Indiana's going to a desperate Ohio State. I mean, both of those teams, especially, let's see, did Penn State end up hanging on tonight? Yeah, Penn State blew them out. Did, yes. Indiana couldn't do anything on offense at the end. Yeah, it was great. So Indiana is certainly going to be in search of wins to keep themselves relevant in the conference and improve their seeding. Ohio State is going to be desperate for that win. Um, but really what I'm looking forward to is the following Saturday, the eighth, when we have hate Saturday, um, we have the second leg of Michigan state, Michigan, we have Purdue going to Indiana. We have Nebraska going to Iowa. And of course, closest to your heart, we have Minnesota going to Penn state for the hardcore, (laughs) hardcore, hard court version of the victory bell. Um, yeah. so, that, and and that's yeah, like, so it'll be a double revenge game for Penn State because we lost to Minnesota in both sports this year. So yeah, that'll be a big spot for Penn State. We'll get to improve that home court advantage of the BJC. It's not the most in uh, not the most intimidating venue, but <laughs> hey, Penn State plays better there. So I well, it's a, and it's a Saturday as well. They as I think, oh yeah, I they were just talking was, about uh, that on BTN yeah, today. On the the, yeah, they're mentioning that the weeknight games, because of State College being and out there in the middle of nowhere, it's it's yeah. hard to fill it up with townies. So well, yeah, for the, weekend games, the townies, everything, everyone's close. The the actual townies are are it's convenient for them because they're not having they they're not traffic and they just True. you know drive yeah. there from a couple miles away. But yeah, the students, it's like you know is is uh, eight eight thirty local start and. They'd rather just they'd rather just study on a Wednesday night. So yeah, it is Saturday. So uh, I, when the team is ranked, they they do get a little bit of excitement. I think you're starting to see it actually look a little like a actual basketball arena. So I think I think we'll get a decent crowd. The team's starting to build some momentum. Nice win over Indiana today. So that should be a great game. Yeah, and when you know, the other thing about that slate on the eighth is you've got games at noon, two, four, and six. So you don't, I mean, you can just, you can meld and become one with your couch. The following weekend is Valentine's weekend. So XFL weekend. Yeah, that's right. The The first games are starting there. We should make sure we get some coverage out about that. I'm just, I, I remember there are definitely some notable former Big Ten names that are going to be participating in that. But not in any case. You could not describe my excitement when Matt McGloin got drafted to my New York Guardians. McMoxie. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, ex- uh, I'm excited especially <laughs> the, i mean the, the giants have just been so terrible uh, you know it's a, a, you know i i tell people i tell everyone who will listen i am not a lions fan i have never been a lions fan because my parents loved me um and also my dad was just a baseball guy i, I don't get how people can cheer for this franchise man um but yeah, the XFL is at least going to be something to fill the gap for those of us who are not college basketball fanatics. I have to admit, 
I'll probably flip over to it for a minute just to see what these modified rules look like, but it's kind of hard to beat February basketball in Big Ten country. Yeah, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be tough for me to watch anything that weekend because I will uh, I'm you have to be keep this quiet, but I'm flying out to Buffalo for my mother-in-law's uh, surprise birthday party. So hopefully Gail's not listening. Well, we know Gail's a, an ardent fan of the podcast, so unfortunately the cat is going to be out of the that cat's bag. out of the bag. I'm in big trouble with my father-in-law, who's like playing this thing over like months. <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, I think if we hold the recording until then, it's going to be a little bit stale. Just- um, yeah, just, that would not be good because all these games we talked about have already took place. So we'll tell you to watch a chance at steer to other podcasts. And I'll just have to tell Gil to act surprised. If I tell Gil to act surprised, I might get, I might, I might, uh, might get get out of it. I might, yeah, I might be okay. Tell her to catch up on our backlog of the Rogan experience, and we should be good. Yes, there you go. <laughs> all right, I'll stop the recording in a little bit.